has only gotten more calamitous. Plus, we have some follow-ups to some of the stories we've been tracking in the college football world. And later, we'll hear from Religion of Sports co-founder Gotham Chopra. It's Tuesday, November 28th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. David Tepper, owner of the Carolina Panthers and Charlotte FC, just fired head coach Frank Reich after a 1-10 start, adding another chapter to the six years of dysfunction since he bought the team. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports senior reporter AJ Perez. Welcome, AJ. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Great to have you. So, yeah, David Tepper just fired yet another head coach. What is your reaction? Uh, The people I've been talking to today around the league um, are not surprised by this. Uh, He's... Then Dave Tepper, when he David Tepper, when he came in five years ago, um, you know he come he, he comes from from the world of world of hedge funds. You know he's worth about twenty billion dollars. Used to doing things his way, um, and uh, and basically is kind of running the team like Jerry Jones without having Jerry Jones football background. And you really can't do that. It's really it the, pro football is a very very it, it's a it's it's not easy to win and it's not easy to find the right people and it's not easy for these types of owners to let people do the work that will actually improve the team and i've heard the word impatient mentioned from one of my sources i've heard uh, you know reactionary from another it's uh, just not a, it's not a way to build a successful pro sports franchise and do you have a sense of how he's perceived within the league um no he's he's probably will like as much as well liked as, as any other owner. Um, I think the fact that, that, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he bought that team for as much as he did, um, you know, five years ago, uh, getting rid of Jerry Richardson, which was a scourge after all the allegations that came out against him, he was kind of the savior at the start. Um, and, uh, you know, the other owners probably don't mind too much because he's making these mistakes. He's, uh, kind of, he's, uh, he it makes their jobs easier. Um, now he's going to, now Tepper is kind of where Dan, where Dan Snyder was, uh, kind of early, maybe about five years into, into Dan Snyder's tenure when he bought the Commanders in 1999. Five years after that, there were a lot of similarities, you know, mid-season, mid-season firings. Uh, we've, we've had now with, uh, with the Panthers, now two back-to-back seasons of, of, uh, of firings during the season. Uh, and there's, we're kind of seeing a lot of the same uh, issues that Snyder had uh, early on where he could, where he didn't let the, the football people make the decisions and where he was meddling with with uh, drafts and meddling with free agency and such. Um, now it's going to be all the, now he's going to, he's at the point where now he has to overpay to get somebody in and who, and what coach and what GM is going to want to step into this. And will Dave Tepper finally, you know, let those people do their jobs? Yeah. And there are even rumors. I don't know if this is true, but that he um, uh, wanted to draft Bryce Young and Reich, who he just fired and other people within the organization preferred CJ Stroud so far, the uh, the evidence is towards C.J. Stroud being the right pick there. Maybe a little early to tell, but it doesn't look good for him. Is this just what we should expect going forward? I mean, is there any reason to expect any part of this equation will change? I think eventually, I think Tepper will, re- will, will realize that the, uh, the constant meddling uh, is, is, is problematic. It's not, you set your team back and you fight, you're, you're starting from square one again. And not only that, you let you know Steve Wilkes go, who rallied the team last year. Um, they made a charge, and then you instead of rewarding him with a, with maybe a, a two year contract, he's you know now he's over 
in San Francisco as the as the D coordinator there. Um, I think that was uh, not even allowing Steve Wilkes to even have a shot at that job um, ruffled a lot of people around the league, especially as the Brian Flores lawsuit goes forward. And now we're going to be back in the same situation here. He basically he he hired Frank Reich, who kind of may have got a raw deal with the Colts. I'm not saying that it was you know he he couldn't figure out the quarterback position, which a lot of coaches there uh, beyond when Peyton Manning was there, you know, has, you know, that's been an issue in Indy. It's nothing new. Uh, so it's, so giving Frank Reich, I think Frank Reich's a, a good coach, uh, but he wasn't allowed at the time or, you know, the resource, and I would say the resource, the time and the, the ability to do what he, what he thought, you know, could make the team better. Right. And this is a team where, you know, it's, you're not going to turn around in one year, you're going to need to invest long term. And yeah, if you're constantly meddling and and messing with things and getting dissatisfied, you know, and firing your coaches midseason, it's you can't have that continuity. Um, AJ Perez, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The highest division for college football conferences and the teams in them is, of course, the FBS, which includes the Power Five conferences and a number of others. One below that is the FCS, and a crucial difference there is that FBS teams are eligible for bowl games, FCS teams are not. Conferences get $4 million for each team participating in a non-playoff bowl game, $6 million for playoff games, plus an additional $2.85 million to cover expenses for the Cotton, Fiesta, and Peach Bowls and the playoff semifinals. So the revenue opportunities are much greater in the FBS, which is why James Madison University made the transfer into the FBS, specifically the Sun Belt, last year. To do so, they had to pay a transfer fee of $5,000. It was decided that this transfer fee does not reflect the value of the transition, and so after JMU made that move, the price multiplied by $1,000. The Delaware Blue Hens will be joining Conference USA in the FBS and are set to become the first FCS school to pay the new application fee, which is not $5,000, but $5 million. This is one case where it would have paid to get in early. Speaking of James Madison, JMU's move to the FBS not only came at a huge bargain, it's paying off quicker than expected. According to FBS bylaws, teams are not eligible for bowl games in their first two years in the division, and that looked like it was going to spoil an otherwise charmed year for JMU, which is 11-1 right now, and the top team in the Sun Belt. Same goes for Jacksonville State, which has a record of 8-4, good for third in Conference USA, which it transferred into this year. So why the change of heart from the NCAA? Were they worried about JMU's threat of legal action? Do they simply decide that the rules are outdated and should be changed? Nope, it's bowl game inflation. There simply weren't enough teams to fill the 82 spots needed for this year's bowl games. There may be too many bowl games. But either way, JMU, Jack State, congrats, you're in. And to update another story we've been tracking, with Indiana's firing of head coach Tom Allen and Houston bidding adieu to Tom Holgerson, their respective buyouts of $15.5 million and $14.8 million add to this year's record total of college football coach buyouts, which has now topped $118 million. Being a fired coach is a good gig if you can get it. Up next, I spoke to Gotham Chopra, who co-founded the production company Religion of Sports with Tom Brady and Michael Strahan. We talked about what it's like working with those two, the ethos of the production company, and this moment we're in where sports docu-series are more popular than ever. That conversation is coming up right after this. Very excited to be joined now by filmmaker and co-founder of Religion of Sports, Gotham Chopra. Welcome, Gotham. Thanks for having me, man. Nice to be here. Great to have you. Uh, so the production company you co-founded with Tom Brady and Michael Strahan is called Religion of Sports. That's also the title of your book. 
The book draws parallels between sports and sports fandom with religion and religious activity. Um, could you unpack that idea for me? That do you, do you see sports as essentially as a religion? Yeah, I don't think you know. It's not. It's more than metaphor. You know, it's it's true, right? Like if you, I'm looking at the hats you have in the back of your uh, uh, your screen. There, it's like if you're a fan, you're by definition part of something greater than yourself. You buy into something that you know, as a fan, especially you have no control over. You know, it doesn't matter your rally hat or whatever. You know, it's irrational. It is blind faith. What I would say is different and better, in my opinion, about the religion of sports is that. You know, all it takes is participation. If you go to a game, invariably you witness a miracle. You know, things happen. That's certainly been my experience as a Red Sox fan, you know, as a Patriots fan. Um, you know, you go on pilgrimages. I live on the West Coast now, but I still go back um, to Boston, to Fenway Park once a year and really go to the sacred space. So, you know, look, it's a lot of fun, but in some ways, like everything that we associate with traditional institutions of faith exist in sports. Um, and so I've just always been a true believer. I get, I have the great fortune of, you know, having Tom Brady, Michael Stray, and they come at it from a very different perspective because they've sat, you know, right in the middle of the cathedral and sort of been the epicenter of all this faith. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, and sports ultimately, what are sports about? It's about, um, human potential, being the best version of yourself and, um, and learning great lessons from resilience to accountability, to community, community. I have a 16 year old son. That's why we put our kids in sports programs to, to learn these sort of principles about life. And again, that is very, um, analogous to the world of religion and spiritual traditions. Yeah. And I was going to ask, what you do with that observation, this idea of, of sports as a religion. Um, so yeah, you can use it as, as a basis for, for teaching lessons, you know, with, with your son. Um, how does it affect what you do as a filmmaker? You know, that's a great question. Um, so look, I am a huge sports fan, but like we tend to stay out of the world of like, well, who's going to win the NBA championship this year or the Super Bowl or or whatever, and really look at sports as a backdrop for great storytelling. And so when we, you know, we're always looking for like, what's that mythical element um, of the story? What's the thing that transcends the sport? What's the thing that you don't need to be a sports fan, a basketball fan or, or a football fan to appreciate the story we're about to tell? And so we're always looking for when we start a project, like what is this really about? Like, how is this bigger than just a comeback story? Or, you know, when we did Tom versus Time many years ago, you know, which was about Tom Brady at 40 years old, could he or could he not win another Super Bowl? It's really about aging and about time and about, you know, tapping into like these these larger stories about, you know, all of us growing old and can we achieve our dreams and stuff like that. So we're always looking like what's the bigger story around this more localized thing. Yeah. And I wanted to get into that idea of, I think a lot of your content focuses on, on the goats on, you know, Brady, Simone Biles, LeBron, Alex Morgan, people like that. But there's also, you've got a G league documentary. Uh, there's one on mental health, what what makes you see a project and say this is a religion of sports project? It's it's that is there a bigger story here? What is the larger myth that we're tapping into? What's the bigger issue 
you know, one of my favorite projects is um, called Shut Up and Dribble a couple of years ago. Um, it wasn't, you know, it was with LeBron James, who's our partner. It's amazing. I'm a huge basketball fan, although I kind of hate the Lakers since I'm a Celtics fan. Um, but like, you know, it was it was not about LeBron James. It was about LeBron's passion for the tradition of largely African-American basketball players finding their voice, you know, what um, in the sort of social and political spectrum. And, you know, that to me was like an opportunity to still live in the world of sports. And it's, you know, from the Bill Russell's days to Kareem to like all the great advocates that have been out there in the world, in the NBA to LeBron and his generation. But it just, it was bigger. It was bigger than like sports. And I've always just really like, that's the thing that we're looking for. That's the thing we spend a lot of time, with our creative team internally developing and, and actually with our athlete partners, you know, I'd say like, we're not in, we're not journalists. We're not doing stories, you know, on athletes. We're doing it with them. Like what's the part of their story that they want to share. And then when I, we really push them to like, help us, help us tell a story that's beyond you. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of that it's, it's storytelling and it's, it's a series it's filmmaking. It's making choices and not necessarily doing, you know, reality shows. Uh, your next project is called The World According to Football. Trevor Noah is executive producing. What's the story with this one? So again, the world's most popular sport, you know, um, football slash soccer. And, you know, Trevor Noah, who I've been a huge admirer for forever, basically, you know, turns out he's probably the most passionate football fan on the planet. And, you know, I've always sort of more as an outside observer because I'm, you know, American and I get the sort of um, the rise in popularity, but we don't have the deep roots. And so when I started talking to Trevor, you know, just about his passion, I mean, that's how most of these things start, not necessarily as like some, you know, project that some algorithm is telling us we need to do. It was just like, okay, you know, Trevor knows somebody I've been really a fan of, like, this is one of the things he's most passionate about. And he had this ability to really explain anybody who's a fan of his has watched him on, you know, the daily show, et cetera, like his ability to sort of unpack like these big, huge issues, but he was using soccer or football as the sort of language to do that. And so that just sort of became the foundation of the ideas like, oh, we can look at like some of the, you know, the most pressing issues of our times, you know, from equal pay to, you know, obviously social unrest to all sorts of issues, um, but through the lens of soccer or football. And um, that became the project. And it's taken us a while. Like, it, you know, we, we went through pandemic, World Cup, like all this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's finally coming out and couldn't be more excited. And just, I think it's a, it's an ambitious project with an ambitious partner and, um, and some amazing creative talent has been a part of it. Um, so can't wait for it to get out in the world. Yeah, very cool. Uh, you co-founded Religion of Sports with Tom Brady and Michael Strahan. What do they bring to the company? I mean, look, they're both amazing. They've been great partners and great, I would say, supporters. I mean, they're not necessarily active on a day-to-day -day basis, but I think they're, you know, first of all, they're evangelists, to use the word, you know, the appropriate <laughs> right. word. Um, a word that comes up a lot in sports. Yeah, and, you know, so, like, they, they obviously have helped bring credibility. They open doors. I mean, it's great to be able to reference, you know, Hall of Famers or 
in Tom's case, future Hall of Famer. Um, I think they give given us a lot of credibility in the world of sports. So obviously we work with a lot of high profile athletes and Tom is, you know, the greatest of all time. I'd say Michael is, um, you know, is so he's like the patron saint of retired athletes. Like he's managed to go from Hall of Fame football player to Hall of Fame broadcaster. And so, um, and then, you know, they just, they right from day one, they just got, they were believers. You know, again, this wasn't like, oh, I took a business plan to them and I showed them like what the vision and value of this thing could be. Um, it was like, it was like, hey, this, this is real. You guys have lived it. And they just immediately day one were like those true believers. And so they've been supporters ever since. Mm-hmm. And Religion of sports, I'd say, is part of this rise in sports docuseries and documentaries. What do you think has driven this growing media category? Look, there's a lot of different things. And, I, you know, I'm usually the creative guy, but I would also say it's just like the transformation of the industry, the move to, you know, on. So there's very few, there's very little content left that's still like you got to be there. Like sports is one of those things. Like everything else is, including our stuff, is sort of on demand. But sports is like there's this, there's just this constant. There's a series of games tonight. There's all endless dialogue and you know blogs and podcasts and there's a lot of discussion and energy. So there's this big audience that's sort of like always on. And I think the sports documentaries is like the adjacent slash shoulder programming that a lot of streamers and broadcasters are, are sort of throwing money at to keep that audience engaged. But I think that's sort of like the business case, like as you know, the world has changed as broadcast and cable has changed sports has sort of remained a thing that there's urgency and energy around. Um, but I think then it's also, it's just like the rise of social media. It's, you know, it's like, you have athletes, you have teams, they're all sort of in their own way, like these mini media companies. There's, again, so much discussion around them. And I think now there is an opportunity for a lot of them. A lot of them start their own production companies and et cetera. They want to, quote, tell their own story, control the narrative. A lot of things that we kind of have to, like, navigate because, you know, nobody's interested in doing just like vanity pieces or, in our case, reality shows. So like I said, we put a lot of time into that development, like, okay, but like, we really want to tell a story. Like, this isn't just like a confessional, you know, this isn't just therapy. Um, so it's, but it's navigating all of that. And I think, you know, certainly the audience is there. So there's been a rise in other companies that are um, really attacking it. Gotham Chopra, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. That's it for today. Subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and check out the great work of my colleagues at frontofficesports.com. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.